0: Well, you guys can turn to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue this series on relationships, on being connected with one another. This morning we're going to talk about what is arguably the most important relationship in our lives outside of our relationship with God, and that's the relationship between parents and children. If you think about it, actually, outside of your relationship with Jesus, there is no relationship that's going to be more formative for you than the relationship between parent and child, it's actually the first relationship that you experience in life. Doctors tell us that the relationship of a child with his or her mom begins before birth. While the child's still in the womb, there's a bond forming between parent and child. And then that relationship is going to change and transform more than any other relationship in your life because you're going to go from infant to adult. And then when you're in the position of parent, there's no relationship you'll have ever experienced that will demand more time or effort from you than being a parent. And so, for a relationship that is so important and so formative in our lives, it's actually really surprising how little the Bible speaks about it. There are shockingly few passages directed to parents and kids in the Bible in terms of a parent's responsibility to his or her children or a children's responsibility to his or her parents. We're going to look at one of the few this morning, Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. It's one of the very few passages in the Bible that's specifically about this relationship. The first three verses are about a child's responsibilities to his or her parents The last verse is about a parent's responsibilities to the child. Okay, so we're going to jump right into this passage. We're going to start with this direction to children. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Children, obey your parents. This is a very simple verse. It's very direct. It's very clear. I have used it often with my parents, with my kids, when, when they are disobedient and they ask me, Dad, why do I have to do what you say? I just read this and say, thus saith the Lord, do it. Do it. Boom. It's right there. It's really, really easy to, to read and interpret. Now, the question is, to whom exactly does this apply? So we read it in English and we see that word Children And what do we tend to think of? We think of little kids as opposed to like adolescents or teens or or college students. In fact, our ministry nomenclature here at Grace Bible Church reflects that understanding in English. So we have children's ministry, which is not the same thing as youth ministry or college ministry. But that's actually not how that word worked in Hebrew or Greek. Child or children in Hebrew or Greek just means you come from two parents, which which applies to everyone. So the question is, at what point does a, a person no longer get called a child, you become an adult? In the Bible, that transition happened at marriage. So you go back to Genesis chapter two, it, it is at marriage that the, the man comes out of his parents' household, no longer under his father and mother. He leaves father and mother and cleaves to his wife and the two become one flesh, a new person, a new family. So that was the moment of transition in the Bible. In our culture, it's tied a little less to marriage and a little bit more to financial independence. So when does a person no longer get called a child? But when he or she is no longer financially dependent upon his or her parents. So a child certainly includes little kids. It also still includes adolescents and, and teenagers. It includes college students. If you're still financially dependent upon your parents. If you move home with them during the summer. You're, you're still under Ephesians 6 verse 1. You're still, you're still required to obey them. It also includes any grown up kids that move back into their parents house. You're depending upon your parents. And so verse 1 applies to you. So. Anyone who still depends upon their parents is required to obey their parents. And, and Paul wants to drive that home, so he includes this phrase, in the Lord. You're to obey your parents in the Lord. That prepositional phrase is raising the stakes. It's saying that obedience to parents is equivalent to obedience to the Lord. You can't say that you follow Jesus and yet disobey your parents. That's not possible. Okay, so to obey God includes obeying your parents. And then the last thing he says is, for this is right. And interestingly, that word right is the same root word we get the words righteousness or justice from. So what Paul's saying is obedience to parents is a a matter of justice. If you obey your parents, that is righteousness and justice. If you disobey your parents, that's an expression of injustice. So really serious stuff. But Paul's not done yet. He wants to drive it home even more. And so in the next verse, he quotes from the Old Testament. So look with me at verse two. Paul says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. He quotes from the Ten Commandments and and by doing this, he adds a new word. So it's not just enough to obey. Paul wants us also to honor our parents, to honor that verb. It means to, to lift someone high, to ascribe high value to them, to revere them. To look up to them, so that's what Paul's calling us to do. Now, I think the reason that he adds this word alongside obey is because it's possible to obey with a bad attitude. Technically, you can do that. Say fine and obey with a scowl on your face. Technically, that is obedience, but that's not enough for God. He also wants honor. He he cares about our attitude. He he cares about what we say and our our tone of voice. He wants us to obey out of respect. For our parents. That's what God is calling us to. So in our home, my kids are I have twins, they're ten years old. Um, Julie and I, Julie and my wife, we we noticed that this was an issue in our house, uh, starting about three months ago, that our kids were getting in this bad habit of when we when we asked them to do something, they would just say, Fine and go do it and that's not enough. No, that's not how you talk to someone, especially to a parent. We, we wanted to encourage them to be honorable and respectful. So we started this thing called the yes ma'am, yes sir jar on our kitchen counter. When they respond appropriately to a directive with yes sir, yes ma'am, they, they get to put a marble in the jar and when it's full, they get ice cream. Now before you say what a great parent you are, just so you know, they figured out how to game the system the first day. So they realized... Dad gets really frustrated when we are loud and do annoying stuff. So they did lots of that so that I would say stop and they could say, yes, sir, and put another marble in the jar. So we had to clarify the rules. No, no, no. If you cause me to tell you to do something, I take two marbles away. So we fix that. So when we look at God's requirements for children, he demands a lot. He demands that children obey and honor parents in all things, for that is right. And to motivate kids to obey, God gives a promise. So look at the next verse, verse 3. So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. This is one of the very few commands of God that's followed by a promise of what God will do in this life. There's not a lot of these. God promises life will go well for you. Now, now let's all be clear. That's not a blanket promise. We, we've probably all have lived long enough to know very obedient children who died young and disobedient kids who are still alive. So it's not a, a blanket promise. Instead, it's a general principle about how God designed life to work. Children who obey their parents generally do better in life. They tend to thrive compared to children who rebel. That's actually a law that applies to all of life, not just human life. Think about a bear cub. A bear cub that, that follows its mom and does what she does tends to do well versus the bear cub that runs off on its own tends to die. That's just how God designed life in this universe. The young tend to thrive when they follow their parents. Okay. So God commands children to obey and honor their parents for that's going to help you thrive in life. Now that, that of course, demands a, a question that, that raises a question in our minds. What, What about parents who tell their kids to do bad stuff? What about parents who tell us to do something sinful or tell us to stop doing something good? What do we do then? Well, in all of life, there is a hierarchy of obedience. That is always true. There is a hierarchy in terms of who you are to obey. And God is always at the top. So God is first and under him are things like obeying parents, obeying the state, obeying your boss, whatever it might be. God is always first. You always obey him first and foremost. So just to state the obvious, if your parent wants you to try meth, don't do that. No, absolutely not. Or, or more realistically, maybe your parent's not a believer and they tell you you need to stop wasting your time with church. You need to stop sharing the gospel and talking about Jesus because it's making people uncomfortable. You need to stop giving your money to charity. That's a waste. Well, No. You you say no to that because you first are beholden to God, not your parent. Now, here's the key, though. When you choose to disobey your parents, do it with honor. Don't give them the finger and storm out the door. That's not honoring your parents. You always honor them. Instead, you you explain, well, I I love you and I will always love you, but I, I have to follow God first. I have to do that. And so you respectfully disagree. You disobey with honor. Okay, that's what happens if if your parents call you to do something that goes against the commands of God. Now that applies to a lot of you in this room. A a lot of you are are still financially dependent upon your parents. So verse 1 of Ephesians 6 is for you. You need to honor and obey your parents. But what about those of us who are older? How do we apply this passage to our lives? So we're talking about grown children. Like me, I'm 43 I'm married, I have kids, I have a home of my own. I'm no longer financially dependent upon my parents at all. What do I do with this passage? Well, I need to take this passage and I need to combine it with something else that Paul wrote. It's in 1 Timothy chapter five. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So what Paul's looking at here, widow, and, and when he mentions children and grandchildren, he's talking about an elderly woman whose husband has died. And in that society, she would now be very vulnerable. She would really need help. And Paul's saying the person responsible to help this, this elderly woman is her kids. It is their responsibility to provide for her. And so as we grow up, here's the easy way to think about it. We are always, no matter our age, required to honor our parents. But as we transition from child to adult, our, we move from honor and obey to honor and provide. And for me, that's where I am here in middle age. I am called to honor my parents and provide for them. Now, we live in a very different society. Than they did in the ancient world. Actually for, for the vast majority of human history. Really until the last hundred years. As people aged. It was expected that they would be completely cared for by their kids. They would come to move in their, with their kids. Their kids would feed them, clothe them, provide for them. It's only been in the last hundred years or so. That we got some new tools. Like social security and, and nursing homes. And things like this. And, and there's nothing in and of themselves wrong. With social security or nursing homes. But we need to be really really clear. While we can utilize those tools, it is still our responsibility to be the primary caregivers for our aging parents. And God will hold us responsible for that. We can't just wash our hands of our parents and trust the state to take care of it. No, we have their back. We are called to honor and provide for our aging parents. Okay, so that, that applies ultimately to all of us in this room. We all have parents we're called always to honor, to obey when we're young, to provide as we grow older. Now let's switch and talk about parenting. God's directives to the parents in the room. So we're gonna talk about parenting. This one's gonna be longer and this part of the sermon is going to be harder because I'll start with a confession. Parenting is the single hardest thing I have ever done in my life. I pushed myself to get a 4.0 in mechanical engineering at Texas A&M and that was child's play compared to raising kids. I kid you not. It is by far the hardest thing I have ever attempted. And I know I'm not alone in that. As Ray Romano, the comedian observed, having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps. Everything's broken. And there's a lot of throwing up. Like a a disturbing amount of throwing up. Or as Elizabeth Gilbert put it, having a child is like getting a tattoo on your face. You better be committed. It's a permanent decision. Or Kate Middleton... Who's married to Prince William. She has lamented about how hard parenting is. That's shocking when you realize they have a full-time nanny and a half dozen staff waiting on them at all times. And yet, yeah, they're right. It's still hard to parent. Parenting is incredibly hard because we don't know what we're doing most of the time. I've got no idea. I've never felt as inadequate as I have as a dad. For real, I, I so often don't know what I'm doing. And so it is ironic that I've been asked to teach a sermon on parenting. I've never taught a sermon that felt more hypocritical than this one. I so often don't know what I'm doing. And I so often blow it as a parent. I, I frequently lose my temper and scream at my kids. And so I want you to know if you're looking for a sermon on parenting from a perfect parent, it is time for you to head to lunch. You can beat the crowds, just take off now because there's no perfect parents here. Now, I'll be honest with you though, in my 16 years of being a pastor, I have never talked to any parent who thought they knew what they were doing. I've never talked to a parent who said, yeah, this whole mom and dad thing, got it nailed, I'm perfect at that. No way. Everyone I talk to feels guilty, ashamed, and like a failure. We all do as parents. And so what I want us to do as we talk about parenting is I want us just for a moment to to recognize and be honest with one another about how hard this is. It's always been hard. Parenting has always been a hard thing. It's even more hard today because we have new challenges that our parents knew nothing about. We have to raise our kids in a world full of, of social media and internet pornography. And when I was growing up, as soon as I could ride a bike, my parents could let me roam the neighborhood all day. Now you get arrested for that. We never had to worry about the kinds of things that we face daily now when we were kids. It is incredibly hard to be a parent today and we just need to face that. I want us all just to kind of sit together in that reality with one another and recognize parenting is incredibly hard. We all feel inadequate in it, all of us. We just need to be honest about that. We need to be honest about the fact that our actual families are not as pretty as our Instagram or Facebook posts would suggest. We need to all recognize that we don't have this parenting thing together like we thought we would. We need to all recognize and just admit we are not as good a parents as we hoped we would be. We're not as good a parents as we thought we would be because parenting was harder than we could have ever imagined. And we just need to realize that and sit in that for a moment. It's incredibly hard. We're not prepared for this. And so the question for us today Is how can struggling, inadequate parents, like all of us, parent just a little bit better? Parent just a a little bit better. How can we make a little bit of progress forward this week? Well, I'm not going to give you a a really long list of things to go do. A a checklist of of advice to follow. I'm not going to do that. I don't think that's helpful. Instead, I, I sat down with my wife, Julie, and we just spent some time praying and thinking, what are the... What are the biggest lessons that God has taught us over the last 10 years of raising kids? So a decade of journey uh, of being parents, what are the things that really have made a difference that God has shown us over this decade? And I'm just gonna give you three things that stood out to us, that really made a difference. If, If you wanna parent a little bit better this week, what do you need to do? Number one, you need to stop comparing and instead start giving thanks. Look with me at chapter 6 again. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Just the first half of verse 4. Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I was wondered, what does that mean? Well, provoke to anger. It means to, to cause a person to be intensely frustrated. It's similar to what Paul says in Colossians 3. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. To exasperate, them, that means to irritate them, to provoke them, to, to make them bitter such that they're discouraged and give up. Now, you, you notice that, that advice in both verses is directed to fathers. I think that's because we're particularly bad at this, but it applies to both moms and dads alike. For moms and dads both we need to, to stop provoking our children. But what exactly does that look like? Well, let's think for a moment. When do we provoke our children? Well, when my kids misbehave and act up, how should I respond to them? What does God want me to do in respond to Well, the answer is God wants me to act like him. right? God wants me to act like God does when we misbehave. Well, how does God act towards us? We were singing about it. He's always gracious, always kind. Always truthful, always patient, always loving. How often have you fallen short of that in your parenting? Me, every day. I I fall short of that all the time. Rather than responding to my kids in infinite patience, infinite kindness, infinite grace, infinite love. I get angry. I get frustrated. I get insulted. I get impatient. Why? Why? Why do I do that? Why do I get so angry with my kids instead of responding to them in the patience and the grace of God? Well, I look at that and I think about that. Well, sometimes I get angry at my kids because I'm just really tired or hungry or had a bad day at work. Okay, let's set those times aside. Most of the time, why am I getting so angry and frustrated and impatient with my kids? Well, my wife has a a really great saying. It's been really helpful to me over the years. Anger is never the thing. Anger is the symptom of something deeper. Anger is the sign, if you will, that there's something deeper going on that you need to flesh out. You need to figure out what's going on in my heart that's causing this symptom of anger. So I spent some time doing that over those la- the last few weeks. Why do I get so angry and impatient and frustrated when my kids misbehave? And there's a couple things that God has pointed out to me. You-, you might identify with these, you might not. They may be a little different for you, but I think a lot of you in this room will probably identify with these things that go on in my heart when I get angry and frustrated and impatient with my kids. The first thing that God brought to my attention, I get angry with my kids because my kids aren't living up to the unrealistic expectations that I created by comparing my family to other families. See, I, I, I compare. We do that. We're humans. We can't help but compare. And so I look and I see all your kids. I see your kids at church, I see your kids at school, and a lot of your kids seem to be acting much better than mine. They seem to have more self-control they seem to be more patient they seem to be less loud a lot of kids out there seem better a lot of families out there seem more functional better behaving than than mine now to be fair to my kids one of the problems is i only see your kids at their best whereas i see my kids at their worst so this isn't fair to begin with but that's how comparison works we always see the best of others and the worst of us so i compare my family and my kids to your families and your kids and wherever mine falls short what does that create in me Fear, fear, parenting and fear go hand in hand. For so many of us, I feel afraid. I feel afraid that I've done something wrong. Man, I feel afraid that I've been a bad parent. I feel afraid I've screwed up my kids. I feel afraid that there's something wrong with my kids. Why aren't my kids getting this? Why aren't they behaving better? Am I raising sociopaths? I don't know. I feel fear. And out of that shame and out of that fear, I then respond in anger and impatience. When my kids act up. So that's the first deeper thing I've seen in myself. There's a second. I get angry when my kids misbehave because I compare myself to other parents and feel shame at my failures. Notice this one isn't even about my kids, this one is about me. They misbehave, but I'm upset about something in me. I'm upset that I feel like a bad parent compared to other parents. I compare myself to some of you other dads who, again, just to be fair to myself, I'm seeing you at the best. I see myself at my worst. So I look around and I see how great you are as dads. And wherever I fall short, I feel shame. And out of that shame, I act badly towards my kids. For me in my life, there is no greater source of parental shame than sports. I have no idea why, but I hate sports. I've never enjoyed them, never been good at them. I don't like competition and sporting environments are always loud, which makes me feel really tense and uncomfortable. So for lots of reasons, I don't like sports. So I am not good at coaching my kids. I don't know how to do that. I've never played sports. And and so what do I do? Well, I compare. I look around and I see so many of you who are so good at coaching your kids in sports. Then you go out every Tuesday night and every Saturday morning and you're coaching your kids and and you're laughing and you're smiling and you're having fun with your kids and you're doing all this amazing athletic stuff together. And it's so beautiful, dad and kids together. It seems amazing. And I look at myself, I got a bloody nose from playing wiffle ball with my daughter the other day. I can't play sports to save my life. So I, I can't coach my kids. And because of that, I feel shame. I look at how good you are at it. And I feel like an absolute failure of a father. That's always what comparison will do to you. Whenever you compare, you lose. Because you see others at their best, you at your worst. And so what do we do with this? Well, we got to stop comparing. We got to stop comparing ourselves to other parents and our kids to other kids. Because when we compare, we always lose. It never leads to a good place. When you compare, it's always going to lead you to a bad place where you're going to parent out of anger and frustration and impatience you got to stop comparing. You need to believe that every single family, every single child, every single parent is unique. Every one of us is a unique creation by God. And so he's not going to compare any of us. That's not how God works. He doesn't ever compare. You will not be compared to another parent in this room to figure out if you did a good job or not. Because God didn't make you them. He didn't make them you. You are unique. You stand on your own two feet. So stop comparing, believe that every one of us is unique with our own strengths, our own weaknesses. We need to to live in that uniqueness and give ourselves grace. Please give yourself grace as a parent. When I see some of you men being amazing coaches of your kids in athletics, I just have to stop and give myself grace. I wasn't designed to do that. I won't get to heaven and and find that God was disappointed in me because I didn't coach my kids in baseball. No, he knows better than anybody how bad I am at baseball. He knows, I was like, I made you for that. No, no way. You're, I'm not going to hold you responsible for that. God knows, and so I need to give myself grace. I wasn't made to be you. I was made to be me. So give yourself grace. Give your spouse grace. Your spouse isn't somebody else's spouse. Your spouse is unique. Celebrate the good in them. Give them grace. You need to give your kids grace. Those other kids, they're not your kids. You are given unique kids who don't need to be compared to any other kids on earth. Give grace to yourself, to your spouse, to your kids. So stop comparing and instead give thanks. Practice gratitude. If you've been here for a long time, you know that's an application in most of the sermons I give. Because that is a solution to everything negative in your life. Anything bad, like shame, fear, comparison, guilt, you solve it through giving thanks, through so the discipline of gratitude. You find something to give thanks for. So when you feel shame or guilt in your parenting, what you need to do is you need to look at, well, what what experiences and skills has God given me uniquely that helped me to be good in some moment of parenting? So yeah, when I feel guilty that so many of you are incredible athletic coaches out there for your kids, I remind myself, wait a minute, I, I made a go-kart for my daughter and I'm uniquely qualified to answer my son's questions about predestination and free will. I've got that going for me. And so I give thanks for these things that God has uniquely given me. I don't need to try to live up to you. Find things to give thanks for, for yourself and your parenting, for your spouse, for what he or she brings to the table and for your kids. Even on their worst day, there's gotta be something you can give thanks for how God created your children. So practice this discipline of gratitude. It will help you to stop looking at others and feeling that shame and fear and guilt that drive anger and impatience and frustration. If you want to parent, well, you got to parent from a better place. That comes from practicing gratitude. Second directive I have for you. Second idea. Bring up your kids in the Lord. Of all the things that parents are told to do... Put sunscreen on... Feed them organic food... All that stuff... None of that matters compared to this one... This is the big one... Bring up your kids in the Lord... So the Bible actually... Like I said... It gives very little direct advice to parents... But this is one of the things it says... This is actually the primary thing that it says... Look again at chapter 6 verse 4... The second half of it... Paul says... Bring them... That is your children... Up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's define those terms for a moment. Discipline, that means training. It's how you like train an athlete. Instruction, it means teaching them in what is right and wrong. And, and of the Lord means that you're teaching and training them in the things of God, in God's truth, to know God and follow him. So first and foremost, you're teaching and training your kids to know and believe the gospel. To trust God that, that Jesus is their Savior, that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead so they can have eternal life as a free gift, and then beyond that you 're teaching them to know god 's ways in history, the stories of this book, the commands of God, what is right and what is wrong that is our primary responsibility as parents is to raise our kids up in the, in the training and teaching of god 's Word now, how do we do that? How do we unpack that? Well, here's a passage from Deuteronomy, actually one of the other few passages in the Bible on parenting. So really good one. Deuteronomy 6, really important for parents. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You may notice here that this responsibility of parents to, to raise up, to bring up their kids to know and follow God. It's not just a Sunday morning responsibility. It's not just a Christmas and Easter responsibility. It's a all the time everywhere responsibility. Every day. In all the normal things we do, we are to be teaching and training our children to know and follow God. Now let's get specific. How do we do that? A couple ways that you raise your children. You bring them up to know and follow God. Number one, you got to model it. Carl Jung rightly said children are educated by what the grown up is and not by his talk. The single most important tool you have for teaching your children to know and follow God is your life. It counts far more than your words. So, you model for your children what it looks like to follow Jesus so they can just follow you and they'll follow Jesus. The goal of parenting is to be able to say, with Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's what excellent parenting would look like. Now, I don't know about you. I read that verse and I do feel quite convicted because I so often fall short of the example of Christ. And as it so happens, it's often in front of my kids right? Because that's where I lose my temper. So what do I do with that? Well, we we need to recognize we all are going to fall short. None of us are going to perfectly follow Jesus. The key is you don't give up. When you blow it, you don't give up. Instead, you you repent of that sin. You confess it to God. You turn from that sin and you ask for forgiveness. And, And one of the great things for parents like us that are inadequate and that blow it is that we get to ask our kids for forgiveness. And they get to see that. They get to see how humility and confession works. And so you model that to them. You ask for forgiveness and you start afresh. You believe that God forgives you. He cleanses you and he gives you a new day. Just don't give up. Keep seeking to follow Jesus better and better each day so that your kids can follow you and grow up in the Lord. So you model it. That's the most important step. In addition to modeling it, you teach it. You teach your kids the the word of God, how to know it, how to understand it, how to apply it. Now, how exactly do you teach your kids the word of God? Well, that's going to be different at different stages of their development. And it very well may be different for different kids and different adults. There's different things that we do to teach this book to our kids. Now in my family. It's, it's changed quite a bit over time. When they were really young. We used this great book called the rhyming bible. Tells the stories of the bible in rhyme. And it was awesome. Because they could remember the rhymes. Nowadays they're 10. If I pull that out. They're going to laugh at me. So we're always. Julie and I are always looking for new ways. How do we get our kids to love God's word. Because it's hard. How do we get them to read it. The one we're doing right now. Is this. It's the manga bible. So apparently. There's a manga version of the bible. Did you know that. This is Manga Messiah, which is the gospels in like serious manga form. Like it's all a graphic novel. And I first looked at this when Julie brought it home and I thought, man, this is just a little weird. I, I, I don't know what to do with this, but my kids loved it and they started reading it. And then the other day they came and they wanted to ask me about the book of Revelation and what it means because it's in this thing. And I thought, hey, go manga, whatever it takes. <laughs> For my kids and I to have a conversation about the Bible, that's success. I'll use anything out there for that. So find what works for you, whatever it might be. Might be music, might be memorizing scripture together, might be some manga Bible, whatever it is. Find creative ways to get your kids engaging with the story of scripture so that you can talk about it and they can grow up knowing who God is and what he's done. Okay, so bring your kids up in the Lord. Final word under this uh, Peace is, is really important. Final thing I want to say under bringing your kids up in the Lord. Please, parents, remember, we are responsible for the inputs, not the results. That's so cr- crucial to get clear. We are responsible for the inputs, what we give them, how we model Christ to them, how we teach them about Jesus. We are not responsible for what they do with that. No parent is responsible for that. Remember, God is the best father who has ever lived and he's got some awfully disobedient kids because humans still have choices to make. Your kids still have choices to make. You can't control that. You are responsible for the inputs, not the results. So model it, teach it, and trust God with the results. Right. Third and final thing I have to say for you, um, parents, <laughs> third step to parent a little bit better is to get help. Get help. What do I mean by that? Well, it's interesting. When you read these passages in the Bible about parenting, what's fascinating, when you really get into the context, when you really get into the background, you realize no one in the ancient world parented alone. No one tried to do this whole parenting alone on their own. No, everyone did it in a community. Really, quite literally, in a community. Remember, in the ancient world, as, as your parents age, they didn't go into a nursing home. They moved in with you. The extended family moved in with you. You all lived together or at least near one another. People didn't just move away. And so people drew close to each other and did life together. Aunts, uncles, moms, dads, grandparents, all together supporting one another. So you were never alone in your parenting. You always had somebody there to give you a break. You always had somebody there to help you and encourage you and pray for you in the midst. But now we live in this world where we're all isolating ourselves. We're all on our own in our own little house trying to raise our kids alone. That's impossible. That's not healthy. God designed us for community. He designed us to get help in raising our kids. It takes a village to raise kids. You can't do it alone. You need support. And so my encouragement for you is to get help. Get help from every source you can, from people and and from books. You need need help. And let let me say, when you think about getting help in your parenting, I do want to caution you there are some people and some books out there that want to help you with parenting but are actually not helpful. And particularly, I'm talking about those who are very legalistic. There's a lot of Christian books on parenting and a lot of Christian experts on parenting who like to tell you what you should be doing. They like to point out all that you're doing wrong and tell you all that you should do instead. I don't listen to any of them. No, that's not what I need as a parent. What I need first and foremost is grace. Grace first, grace last, grace always. So the books that I read and the people I listen to are those who surround whatever advice they have with grace. I, I, I want to listen to people and read books that, that leave me feeling hopeful and encouraged, not guilty. I don't need any more guilt in my parenting. So find people in books that will encourage you, that will be gracious to you in all that they say. So let me give you some particulars. If you need some people to come alongside you and give you grace, there's a lot of options here at Southwood. You can join a community group like a home church. That's what Julie and I have done. So my wife and I were part of a Wednesday night home church of other Southwood couples, most of whom have young kids. So we can uh, grieve with one another and encourage one another and celebrate with one another. That's been very life-giving to us. So community groups meet throughout the week. Lots of options there. If Sunday morning works best for you, you're already here at church, well, join Home Builders at 915 or Life Builders at 11. You'll find a great community to support you. If you are a brand new mom, I encourage you to check out mom to mom at Anderson. It's it's a great support group and also a lot of very practical advice because it's really hard to be a new mom. There's a lot of stuff you don't know how to do. So really great stuff there. Uh, Second, books. What books are out there that are helpful? There's a billion books on parenting. Some are awful, many are good. It's impossible for me to give you a definitive list. As Julie and I thought back over this, we're like, man, there's a billion books out there. What have been the most helpful ones to us? So I'm gonna share a few books with you. Um, They're helpful to us. They may or may not be helpful for you. As with all books, we don't agree with everything in them, but they helped us at key times over the last 10 years. So here's some of the ones that were really helpful for Julie and I. Healthy Sleep Habits, Happy Child by Mark Bluff: we, we had twins, and at birth they decided they were going to sleep at opposite times. And that means we would never sleep. And if you weren't aware, the CIA uses that as a torture device. So <laughs> you're going to die if you don't fix that. So for us, this was, this was life-saving. This was incredibly helpful advice for training your children to sleep. Okay, so really, really useful to us. Conscious discipline. This is an amazing resource that actually is being used in both school districts in our town and in our Kingdom Kids program here at church. Chances are very good your kids are are being taught by those who utilize this conscious discipline principle. So it'd be really good for you to know it. Really, really good advice on how to discipline kids proactively. So Conscious Discipline by Becky Bailey. Scream-Free Parenting by Hal Runkle. I feel like I'm maybe sharing a little too much of my life with the name of that (laughs) book. This one I needed. So Scream-Free Parenting helped me at a time when I needed to face bad habits I had allowed to creep into my parenting. So it's more about the parent, less about the kids. So it really helped me to face and work on those bad habits so I could parent from a healthier place. Finally, 123 Magic by Thomas Felon. Um, this is designed for parents with kids who are particularly strong-willed, which we know a lot about. So we needed this one really, really practical advice for how to train children who want to push every boundary. So those were the books that helped us. They may or may not help you. Final thing that I'll talk to you about in terms of getting help, and I, I want to make sure you're hearing this one. This is really important. Um, be willing in your parenting journey to talk to professionals and particularly to get counseling. So we have amazing counseling resources in this community. For families, there's family counselors. For kids, there's amazing child psychologists in this community. And for your own personal counseling, there's amazing Christian counselors here in this community. Julie and I have utilized all three of those. They have been instrumental and life-saving for us. We often will meet with counselors. Yeah, I'm a pastor, but I still need that. I need help. I need someone to help me understand what's going on in me, what's going on in my child when they're doing something that I don't understand, how we can build a family that's healthy. So don't hesitate to get counseling. That is a tool God has given you. And let me particularly say, please be open to getting counseling for postpartum depression. Postpartum depression now affects one out of every four women giving birth in America, a quarter. And if untreated, it can lead to suicide. It's incredibly dangerous. If you feel postpartum depression, the problem is Satan's gonna tell you it's your fault. Like you're supposed to be all loving to your kids. So you're gonna feel guilty too and that just makes it worse. You need to understand, it's a disease. It's not a choice. You're sick and you need help. Please, so for, for husbands out there, please be watching for your wives. If it could be postpartum depression, we need to look out for each other. That is a rampant disease in our culture. We need help. Okay, so please be willing to talk to a counselor. We all need help in this journey be willing to get that counseling so you can parent from a little bit better place in the future right we we all need help whether we're kids whether we're parents this is hard so i'm going to ask god as our perfect parent to give us the strength to parent better heavenly father we thank you and we praise you that you are a perfect father We thank you and we praise you that every time we misbehave, you respond in truth, in patience, in love, in grace. You are always perfect in your parenting. We look up to you, Father. We thank you that you are our perfect model, that we can learn from you. We confess, Heavenly Father, that we fall short all the time. As parents in this room, we we fall short in parenting our children. For those who aren't yet parents, that... They also fall short in their response to their own parents. God, we fall short all the time. We desperately need your help, Lord. We pray that your spirit would fill us and transform us. We pray for the fruit of your spirit to be unleashed in our lives. I pray particularly for the parents in this room, Lord, that. Your spirit would fill them with the patience that they desperately need towards their kids, but they don't know where to find it. It's in you, God. Please give them that gift of patience. Give them that that gift of love. Give them that gift of gentleness. Give them that gift of forgiveness. Help them, God, to parent from a better and healthier place this week. I pray, God, that you would help all of us. To, to fulfill these responsibilities that you've given us so that these relationships can grow and flourish in our lives. We thank you that you are patient and kind to us. We thank you for your infinite power and wisdom. You are perfect in every way. We thank you that we get to call you Father. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Go in peace.